Welcome to WIN, the Women in Industry podcast, a production of the Communications Group. Welcome to the Women in Industry podcast, that's WIN for short, brought to you by the Communications Group. I'm your host, Lisa Van Hook. I am a Communications Group partner and director of client services, and my regular co-host, Carson Horn, is out this episode, so I am thrilled to be joined for this episode by my guest co-host, Hannah Phillips. Hannah is our WIN podcast producer, and she's also a public relations specialist at the communications group. Our guest today is, oh my gosh, an amazing and incredible lady by the name of Annabeth Gorman. She is chief executive officer of Arkansas Women's Foundation, and I cannot wait for you to get to know her. But before we get into her story, I do want to remind our listeners that we have dozens of amazing and inspiring women on our Women in Industry page on our website. That's comgroup.com, C-O-M group.com. And we are always looking for more women to spotlight. So if you know an amazing woman in healthcare, government, agriculture, education, nonprofit, manufacturing, B2B, the world. Listen, I know you know an amazing woman. In fact, I know you know more than one. Please go to that page. It's a really simple online form. Nominate her for win recognition. The nomination form can be submitted online on the Women in Industry pages on our website. Again, that's comgroup.com. All right, so now let's talk about inspirational women. We are so inspired by all of you women of the world, making a difference, wearing your cape, putting on your plastic fireman's hats, being superheroes, and bringing your vision to the world. This week, our win inspiration and podcast guest is Anna Beth Gorman. Welcome to the podcast, Anna Beth. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lisa. Let's just dive right in and get to know you. will start with your elevator speech. Okay. Well... My name is Annabeth Gorman, and I am the CEO of the Women's Foundation of Arkansas, the only statewide philanthropic organization dedicated to improving the economic circumstance of women and girls. I have been a fierce advocate for women and girls for over 14 years here in Arkansas and also in some other states as well. I love that. I love the word fierce. That is, isn't that just one word? It says so much a fierce advocate for women and girls. I love that. So we're going to dive more into your professional background because I want to hear more about the 14 years and how you got to where you are. But first, before you do that, tell us a little bit of your personal background, like where you grew up, where you went to school, hobbies now, personal passions, things like that. So very well described as a little Leslie Nope. I grew up in Texarkana, Texas. That's a great reference. For people who don't know who Leslie Nope is, tell us who it is. Leslie Nope is a character from Parks and Recreation, and she is a person that just wants to help our community, (laughs) wants to improve the lives of others. And I grew up in Texarkana, and I, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. I had two older brothers. So actually, when I was little, I was big tomboy. I really was. And I wanted to to be just like my brothers. They were my idols. And quickly I was told by family, friends, society, you know, I couldn't be my brothers, right? I had to be a girl. And so even within that construct, I found ways to be the best version. I felt like, okay, if I'm going to be a girl, I'm going to be a girl that pushes the envelope. So my brothers were all 
all in Boy Scouts. And I, I'm not only just going to be in Girl Scouts, I'm going to be the best Girl Scout so much so <laughs> the Boy Scouts are going to wish that they wanted, they had me in the Boy Scout I program. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So I actually was an active Girl Scout for 12 years, which is still really unusual. So first grade through the 12th grade, I have my gold award, which is the highest honor you can earn as a girl. I went to college on a Girl Scout scholarship. I was the president of the student council. I went to Texas Girl State. When I said that I constantly was looking for ways to be a contributor to my school, to my family, to my community. And, you know, my family thought it was precocious then and in a my school, they also kind of encouraged and fed me, though, there's Annabeth wanting to change the world again. But again, I was from a small town and it was, I think people just have jokingly thought, oh, one day she'll, this energy will level out, right? But what happened was I, I got a, a scholarship to go to a, a private women's college in Virginia. I, I majored in political science and I thought that I might end up going to law school. But along the way, my journey, I, I had been involved in these organizations that had been really influential. So when I graduated undergrad, I ended up in Austin, Texas through Texas Girl State Connections, and I started working for the Texas Senate. And I worked for the Texas Senate for a couple of legislative sessions and really started understanding what public service was. And at the time, I'm in my early 20s. I'm living in Austin, which was just as expensive then as it is now <laughs> and barely getting by. I had lots of little odd jobs. And at a certain point, I kind of became bored working in state government and bored. Like I loved my job and they were good jobs and I loved the people that I worked with, but I was just such an, had always been such an active person. Like I, I wanted to be challenged and I was at a friend's wedding shower that a college friend's wedding shower at her family home and we're all standing around and we're just you know two three years out from undergrad and their parents are kind of giving us the okay what are you doing with your lives what's going on and out loud I'm like you know I'm just kind of bored and I feel like kind of stuck I don't know what I should do and my friend's father looked at me she's like well that's unacceptable Annabeth <laughs> you know, you've got this type of education you've got these skill sets like I don't want to hear this I don't want to hear that you don't feel like you're reaching your full potential the next time I see you I expect you to have <laughs> change in career and all this stuff and it was so bizarre it was like him telling me that like oh my gosh he's right like I have the power to change my circumstance I just have to apply the energy that I know I have and looking for a new career and I got, I went back to Austin, was with some friends and we were talking about it and someone said, well, what do you really like to do? I was like, you know what? I was the best damn Girl Scout. <laughs> and my friend said, well, do they hire people? And I was like, I don't know, but you know what? Tomorrow I will find out. And literally the very next day I found the local Girl Scout Council, which is a nonprofit. And lo and behold, they had a position opening by the next week, I had an interview at this local Girl Scout council in Austin, but I called my council that I had grown up in, which was in Texarkana, Arkansas, and because I lived in Texarkana, Texas, on the Arkansas side, the Arkansas Girl Scout council called every day on my behalf until I showed up for the interview. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I walked and I was walk I was being interviewed for an entry-level position, but when I walked in the door... 
the CEO came out to meet me. She's like, I just had to meet you. My phone has been ringing every <laughs> single day. What a great story. Yes. So I didn't intend to have a whole career dedicated for women and girls. It happened very organically and it is truly my strength. And I believe in leaning into my strength. And so that began my career in nonprofit public service for women and girls. And eventually I was recruited to move to Arkansas to work as a professional Girl Scout here in Arkansas for several years. And that's really kind of the background of my career. But it was it there really were these moments where people who knew me, you know, helped light this fire underneath me or champion me to pursue something. And so I did. Okay. Well, I have so many thoughts about that story. That is such a, I love that, that journey to get you where you're. First of all, 12 years in the Girl Scouts, that has to be a pretty, it feels like that's probably a pretty small group nationwide of people who've about done that. Less than one, like about 1% of Girl Scouts go on to earn their gold award and truly stay in for all 12 years. Okay. I mean, now you can join the program when you were in kindergarten, that wasn't available when I started. But I, I wore, you know, being a Girl Scout, like a badge of honor. Like I was very proud to represent the program. I was proud of what we did in Girl Scouts. I talked about it all the time. Again, probably ad nauseum talking about it as, a, as when I grew up. And when we earned our gold award when we were juniors in high school and I had a year left and I continued to be active by showing up at the local Girl Scout Council and shadowing the staff. I actually worked with the staff and went into schools around the two cities, Texarkana, Texas, Texarkana, Arkansas, and worked with girls in school. It just, it was a program that had been there for me. My, my parents divorced when I was 10 and a lot had changed pretty dramatically for me in my life, but the Girl Scouts didn't. You know, they constantly told me that you know, believe in yourself, you know, you have the power to change the world, you are valued as a woman, as a girl. And so I truly credit that program to being the most influential thing in my life. Oh my gosh. And they sent you to school. And they sent me to school. It was originally, yeah, it was originally a leadership scholarship, recognizing my years of leadership in the program. And then later, my college, uh, Hollins University in Roanoke, Virginia, actually changed the name of it to recognize Girl Scout leadership experience. But even in, on my tiny college campus, you know, the the leaders of our my campus were so small, they knew that I was on a scholarship because I'd been a Girl Scout. So I was, I was <laughs> even in college, I found my way to the local Girl Scout Council in Virginia, and I went to one of their evening programs, and I was sitting at a table with people, and I'm just chatting people up and I'm talking to someone and lo and behold, I'm sitting beside the chaplain at my college who I had never met, hadn't found my way over to the chapel quite, you know, literally in the first year and a half. And she's like, oh yeah, I know you, you're Annabeth. You're, you're the Girl Scout. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm, that's me, I'm Annabeth. Your reputation preceded you. I think that Leslie Nope would approve of all of that activity. But okay, so your professional journey got you to several positions within the Girl Scouts organization. I bet they were very sad to see you go. Are you still involved? Well, as much as I can be, I, I always, it is a program that is always close to my heart. And if and when I can give service to it, I make myself available. But yeah, I, I had a number of different jobs. I, I started out literally as a, it was called an outreach specialist working on a program called Girl Scouting in the School Day, where I 
I took young women out of public classrooms and I, I did Girl Scout activities with them. These were lower socioeconomic schools in East Austin, Texas, that so traditionally were, we had a hard time recruiting volunteers to form traditional troops. And I loved that job. And, and, and it was funny as a young person, you know, I'm, I'm older now, but we, we say, like, oh, this younger generation, you know, getting them motivated to do work. I was so happy to show up at my job every single day that I got promoted really quickly because of my attitude, you know, and my energy and enthusiasm for the program. So I, I worked in this public schools for six, seven months, and then I was promoted to a recruiter where I recruited not just girl members, but adult members to come into the program. And then when I moved to Arkansas, I managed recruiters across the state. And then I became a director where I started directing other other departments, you know, then spent years as an executive vice president and then a chief officer really managing the bulk of the program. So I really just can't see a way in my life that Girl Scouts won't one degree of separation be away from me. I, again, I, I, want, I, I support it to this day philanthropically. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can speak to a troop or visit young women or, or talk about my experience earning my gold award, going to college on a Girl Scout scholarship, I'm, I always make myself available. It's like almost in your DNA. It really is. Okay, which is a but a natural, as if you think about all those years that you spent with the Girl Scouts and how it's sort of in your DNA, it's a natural progression to your CEO position now. Tell us a little bit more about that with the Women's Foundation. So I'll start by saying like my family for years joked that I didn't have a real job because I just had been a Girl Scout as a child, as a young person. And then I started working for the Girl Scouts. So when I got the job that I currently have now, the Women's Foundation, my mom called it grown up Girl Scouts, right? <laughs> grown up Girl Scouts. That's awesome. <laughs> but you know, the, the Girl Scout program is about encouraging young women to be the best version of themselves. And it's a leadership program. But the Women's Foundation of Arkansas, we strive to actually address systemic challenges that women have and specifically challenges that women in Arkansas have in achieving economic mobility. And what I am passionate about this role is how, you know, you can just look around and see a challenge that women have and you can start learning about it and it unlocks another challenge. And so in this role, to me, there's just, sadly, there's a, a lot of opportunity to do good. And this is an organization be, because we are small, we get to be really nimble and work on things that we think really have a potential to make change for women in Arkansas. And sometimes we also get to think outside the box and start something completely new. You know, and I'd come from an organization where, I mean, it's over a hundred years old. It was almost like a machine, right? And, you know, the challenge of my previous role was to to demonstrate that this program was was still of value. But my my job now is to really talk about a variety of issues and 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 then bring in other stakeholder groups that these issues are impacting and and demonstrate why they would benefit from joining forces with my organization on how to solve these very real and challenging problems for women and girls. That's an intro. Okay. So I never thought about it this way until you just described it, but what you're doing. Okay. So you came from this large, you know, legacy hundred year old organization 
you said, sort of operated like a machine. And then you you moved into an environment that's almost entrepreneurial. I mean, it really, you said when you were talking to our producer earlier, you, I wrote down something that you had said to her, which was, you said, I'm passionate about seeing a need and putting together the stakeholders to address that. That is such an entrepreneurial mindset. It is. And when I I was approached about this position, again, I, I loved the job that I had and, and was really passionate about the program. I had gone back to school and gotten my master's in public administration and nonprofit management. And I was approached not too soon after I completed my master's work that the predecessor, my predecessor in the Women's Foundation was retiring And it was one of those funny things. It was like, you know, you'd be great at this job, Annabeth. I'm like, okay, you know, yeah, I I was a fan of the organization. I'd used its research in graduate school. A week later, three other people called me like, you would be fantastic at this job. So I went into that, you know, I I did, did the research. I was invited to come interview and meet with the board and the search committee and a similar, not so similar experience. Like I, I really explained to the the board. I'm like, <laughs> honestly, here's why you need me more than I need you. <laughs> like here is, here is what I see the potential and the opportunity is. And it was a great conversation. But then I found out that the organization was really at a critical transition. It was almost 20 years old, but it had not really gotten its legs underneath it. Um, There was not a lot of money in the bank. There was only one full-time position. It was the, then the the position of the executive director. And they came to me and they explained like, Hey, we love you. We think you would be great, but we gotta be honest. Like we're, we're in financial dire straits. We don't know if the organization will exist. And, and I asked like, well, tell me about what is going on with the organization that you think that. And so they allowed me to kind of do a, SWOT analysis of the organization to really examine its strengths, weaknesses, opportunity, and threats. And I felt with confidence that, you know, given some time that I could truly turn the organization around. And so I was literally hired as the executive director in April of 2016 with just literally two months money in the bank to pay the bills and pay my salary. So it was the first time I had also felt the confidence that I could take on this challenge. And I wasn't afraid if it failed me, I gave up a, a job and a career that loved and the Girl Scout program wasn't going anywhere. But, you know, I felt like this is, could be a truly transformative vehicle for women and girls in our state. And that was six and a half years ago. And now we have a full-time staff of five what? And over, you know, our budget, our revenue this year will exceed a million dollars. Oh my gosh. And it w- truly has been entrepreneurial. It's literally, we created a brand new organization. Oh my gosh. See, that is 100% entrepreneurial. I love that. That's such a good story. I was not aware of, of that transition at all. It's sort of on the periphery had always kept, you know, the Arkansas Women's Foundation, it's sort of in my view, I was always very interested in the organization's activities, but I was not aware of the transformation that you've led there. That's, that's pretty inspiring. I have to say that's very inspiring. So let me ask you a couple more questions before we go to a a break. I know you were talking about transforming the program or the organization. And my understanding is that you have some passion projects there that you've either created or you sort of, as you said, you saw a need, 
and you put together a program or the stakeholders to do it. Can you tell us about a couple of those passion projects? I can, and I have a lot, but I I love to develop programs. It's one of things that makes me most happy. But in the years that I've been here, some of the ones that I'm, I'm really proud of, we have worked on for years and, and have really taken off. The first that I want to talk about is a program we call it the Women's Economic Mobility Hub. And several years ago, what we talked about, like, what does it look like to, to help women achieve economic mobility? And we had to educate ourselves on what actually are the pillars of building wealth. I like to tell people that, you know, the pay gap is real, like gender, the gender pay gap is real, but we should be more concerned about the gender wealth gap. And wealth doesn't mean a yacht in your backyard. Wealth means owning your home, access to healthcare, retirement, emergency reserve on hand, an education. These are pillars to not only changing your life, but also that you can transfer to the next generation. So we commissioned a research report and in my tenure, we had we had done reports before, and a lot of those had been the research had been driven by recruited volunteers within academia and other areas. But under my leadership, we actually commissioned an agency to put together a report. And I'm particularly proud of this because this is data from census information, data from um, economic the, the Arkansas University of Arkansas Little Rock Economic Development Institute. And we actually could see a snapshot of economic indicators for women and girls across the state on a variety of these topics like business ownership or participation in the workforce, women in poverty, women with a high school degree or higher or less than a high school degree. And so the first time we could actually like like a heat sensor looking at Arkansas, see things about our populations and our trends. And one of the most interesting trends in that report from 2018 was about businesses owned by women. In Arkansas, men outpace women in all racial ethnic categories except for one. Black women own more businesses compared to their black male counterparts. Moreover, in Arkansas, the highest concentration of women business owners are in the Arkansas Delta, which is the most impoverished part of our state. That's fascinating. It is. It was extremely fascinating. And so... Then that began a journey for the Women's Foundation to understand entrepreneurship as a vehicle for economic mobility, women entrepreneurs in particular. And then we started drilling down women of color entrepreneurs. We've spent years educating ourselves and getting involved in what's called the entrepreneur support ecosystem in Arkansas and just literally making a seat at the table. But a year and a half ago, we launched what we call the Women's Economic Mobility Hub, where we actually invite 10 Black women business owners to participate over a six-month period. We give them unrestricted capital. As a philanthropic organization, we can do that. It's not a loan. It's a a grant. And we give them $5,000. And for six months, we bring additional resources to these Black women entrepreneurs based on what they've told us their needs are. So what I love about this program, that it's amplifying the voices of women, particularly black women business owners, you know, the resources that we have cultivated and curated are based on their responses from a follow-up 
report from our 2018 report. We did a report called Women of Color Entrepreneurs in Arkansas. And we surveyed and asked, like, what is it that you feel like you need? Well, the number one thing they need is capital. But the next 20 things are also as interesting. It's accessing someone in accounting or communications. It's um, marketing. It's yeah. just all Other resources. Yeah, that makes sense. Resources. That makes sense. And so we tailored this six-month program. And, and what's really incredible where we've given these women this money. And at the end of the six months, we asked them, well, what did you do with it? We've now had 20 women participate and we're involved in our, our third cohort. So by the end of this year, we'll have given out approximately $150,000 to 30 women business owners. But the first 20 all used their capital to really invest in their, or their selves. One woman bought a edible printing machine. She was a baker. And so she bought a machine that she could like screen, you know, print logos and things. So mm-hmm. now she's able to market all of her goods to corporate people for like thank you gifts. Another woman sent herself to California to receive a certification so she could do this very specialized training within her industry. Another woman invested in technology. It's just so cool to see how they use the money when you don't tell women how to use their money, they're still going to use it smartly, you know, and in a way that they truly need it. So it's just been one of the most rewarding things to see happen and to meet women and meet them where they are and really try to help them overcome the challenges, but also to see them, you know, start to support each other. So I'm really proud of that, that work. Uh, My mouth is hanging open. You should be very proud of that. That I just, I'm just, I'm just flabbergasted. That is such a cool program. In fact, while you were talking, I went to, if anybody wants to look this up, I went to womensfoundationarkansas.org and forward slash women dash empowered to learn more about the Women's Economic Mobility Hub. What a cool project. That seems like the kind of thing that you could replicate nationwide. Yes. And we, we hope that we continue to get traction on that. And again, this is our first design has been for for black women entrepreneurs, but we'd love to see it for Hispanic women, other you know other racial ethnic categories. It really is, and it's it's creating. I, I tell people there are different kinds of capital. There's your individual capital, there's social capital, and then there's financial capital. You definitely need individual capital. You know the agency to 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 do. You need that community capital of support to get you introduced and people to champion you. But then ultimately you need financial capital, right? Money. But the first two forms of capital really open the door to the final third, right? And so this program is helping an individual capital situation, but it's also building community capital. And ultimately, I hope it unlocks traditional financial capital. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. I'm, I may have to have a follow up conversation with you about this because this is just, you created this, you and your organization created this, and it is, it, you are truly having an impact. I mean, that is so inspirational. I love it so much. And I, the other thing that I love about it is that it's research driven. I love that, that you really went to the numbers, you really went to look for where the real need was instead of just using anecdotal like sort of information and feedback. I mean, that is, I think, par- probably part of what makes it so powerful and successful. That's amazing. Okay, I'm going to transition really quickly because I have 
so many other questions I want to ask you. Oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm so, <laughs> still, I'm still processing, you know, this program that you told me about. So I'm still kind of, I wrote down all these little notes while you were, while you were talking. But I want to know for somebody who is out there making a difference like you are and uh, moving and grooving, what is a typical day in your life as the CEO of the Women's Foundation? And just that in general, what, what is a typical day look like for you? A typical day. And what's hard for me when we ask women that question, your typical day, it doesn't acknowledge that every day women wear so many different hats, right? So there isn't a typical day. Women have to be ready to, on a dime, turn their attention to whatever is demanding that attention. You know, my schedule, my day starts at 5 a.m., you know, if I've if I've gotten the appropriate hours of sleep on a good day, I'll get up and I'll I'll work out. I'll I'll run or exercise for the first hour, then help get my kids ready, get them off to school, and try to start my work day uh, really between eight thirty and nine. I, I'm um, the CEO of the Women's Foundation. I've got other projects and things, and so I have three different emails. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, at eight, you know, as soon as I've got my kid dropped off about seven thirty, I'm start, I'm starting looking through my three different emails, right? Oh my gosh! To see, you know, what what in those three different, you know, my 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 personal life, my professional life, and my my side hustles, you know, mm-hmm. like what needs attention that day, and you have to make adjustments to that. But then, you know, I I put in my eight to nine hour workday. And I, during the course of that day, not only am I the CEO of the Women's Foundation, I serve on multiple boards, uh, one of which I'm currently the chairman of the North Rock Chamber of Commerce this year. And so again, I've become really passionate about our small business community and have become very engaged in, in Chamber of Commerce work and, and, and advocating and working for North Little Rock businesses. I live in North Little Rock, Arkansas. So that's a big responsibility this current year. But I've got a team and I've got a team. I've got a a staff team organizationally. I've got my family team. And, you know, my day is like, how am I available to those people that that need me in order to be successful in in the work that they're doing? So I, I really a long time ago, I discovered I can I I get really busy. I can get in my zone. So I have to be intentional about telling people I'm available or making myself available. So in my work culture, I really make sure that I have organized team time, organized one-on-one time. You know, I'm very intentional about having time with my children, making time for my my husband and, and also making time for myself. And if something on one day has to take a priority, I, I work real hard to to make sure that I can make up for the next day with one of those other areas. That is, uh, I don't think anybody has said it as, as succinctly as you have when you talk about a typical day, which is we have to be a lot of things to a lot of different people, but the intentionality is a big part of what makes that work. So I, I love hearing about that. Okay, it's time for us to take a really quick break. Stay tuned as we hear more from Energizer Bunny and Superwoman, Annabeth Gorman, who's the CEO of the Arkansas Women's Foundation. We'll be right back after this break. Advertising is at the communications group's roots. 
We have 30 years of experience and experts that will partner with you. Our experts will work to get you in front of the right audience to generate leads so you can turn those leads into customers. Check out our website at comgroup.com to learn more ways we can help and so you can meet our advertising experts. All right, we're back from our break. It is now time for one of my favorite parts of the podcast. And I think one of the reasons I love it is because a lot of the time it's where I don't, I don't think that's the case here because I, I feel like we've gotten a measure of your true personality. But one of the reasons I love rapid fires because we're uh, a lot of times that's where our guests sort of real personality starts to peek out. We learn really interesting things about them that we may not have learned in any of our previous conversations and we don't send these questions to our guests in advance so they're all a surprise and it's just for fun no right or wrong answers and I'm just going to fire a few questions at you and you just say the first thing that comes to your mind some of them may require a backstory so after you answer you are welcome to explain now I'm going to tell you some of these questions are food related because I learned that one of your favorite hobbies is to discover new um, locally owned restaurants so here we go. Are you ready? Ready for rapid fire? I hope so. Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. All right. What's one food that you absolutely will not eat? I will not eat. And this is hard because I will eat a lot of different things. But I will not eat. Have I stumped you? I can't believe You've stumped me because, well, so, Okay. Brussels sprouts? Do you actually? No, 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 no. I I will try any, I will try any vegetable, but so this is a true story. I, I, Flying Fish is a a local local restaurant chain here in Arkansas and they have whole fish (laughs) and my husband dared me to eat the eyeballs out of the fish and I will, I will not eat fish eyes. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's a fair, uh, that's a fair answer. And, you know, depending on where you're traveling around the world, that could also become an issue so it's a real thing like yes. I you know because they serve you the whole fish Ugh. I'm like I'm not gonna eat a fish out. I hope you so. got him back for that dare that's I hope you found something equally as challenging for him mm-hmm. at some mm-hmm. point okay what's your favorite app on your phone Ooh, my favorite app on my phone Instagram all right you like that I love Instagram and love hate relationship actually it's okay. I do again love hate relationship yeah. but you know I love <laughs> curated snapshots of people's lives is you know can really be a good if you're looking for escapism by all means you know knock yourself out yeah yeah well so let me ask you this uh this is a related question how many days and when I wrote this down I actually I actually had a moment like a little existential crisis because I don't think I have ever done this or could do it but how many days do you think you could go without your phone when i was seven months pregnant i was put on bed rest restricted bed rest and they took away my phone what is that part of the bed rest protocol i was unaware of that because i am so attached to work and different things it was explained to me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and very clear was like I was going to have to learn how to grow a baby. Oh, <laughs> and they took away my. I say they, my doctor, my husband, family. I was separated from my phone and from my computer, and I went. I think two weeks without without. <gasps> so. Oh my gosh! Did you find yourself having withdrawals, or did you end up like sort of accidentally enjoying it? I. I didn't have withdrawals because it was just, again, 
there was a new challenge in front of me. It was like, I, I have to do this. So I'm like, and I'm a very, I mean, I love a challenge. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So I definitely busied myself with other things, but you know, seven weeks, I was on seven weeks of bed rest. So after those two weeks, uh, it, it, it was, you know, my husband, like literally before people were home for the pandemic, he moved home and set up a home office just to watch me. And then at one point he felt like it was, I was being good that I could follow directions. And so he went back home and I was allowed to have my (laughs) phone again, (laughs) my laptop, but no, like I, you know, did things that if I had all the time in the world, I would do. I, would, I read books. You know, I read books. I, I cross-stitched. I watched a lot of TV. Family and friends came over to sit with me and to talk with me. So I was able to do that. And again, it forced me to slow down in a life that I, I haven't slowed down. So, you know, I have a hard time slowing down. Well, that's a cool story. I like that. Okay, what's one piece of parenting advice or a parenting tip that you wish you had gotten sooner? A parenting tip. Each phase brings its own set of challenges. So, mm. you know, don't assume you have it all on lockdown, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. As soon as you have it figured out, you know, your tiny human is going to become a whole new new person. And so you've got to roll, you got to roll with that. And, you know, in watching them grow up, you continue to grow up as well. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, two words to describe your cooking enterprising (laughs) and and average (laughs) those are great those are great descriptors all right well you've survived you've survived rapid fire and i am now going to turn you over to our guest co-host hannah phillips who is standing in this week for this episode for carson horn thank you lisa And Annabeth, I have loved hearing more about your story about how you started with the Girl Scouts and how they empowered you, one, to go to college. And from there, you didn't leave that organization. You gave back into that organization. And now you are at the Women's Foundation of Arkansas. And I think that progression of your career just says a lot about you. So I'm really excited to get to know you more. Oh, thank you, Hannah. So in a previous conversation that we had, you mentioned that the Women's Foundation of Arkansas was developing a new program for educators across Arkansas. Can you tell us a little bit about that program? Yes. And again, there's so many programs I'm proud of, but we strive to be a philanthropic organization where we are going to have unlimited resources to give out grants. But when we see a need, we can often step in and create programs and projects. And so we see a big need in women, working women in Arkansas to have conversations about how to save for retirement. We've been given a unique opportunity to collaborate with the Arkansas Department of Education over a three-year project period. A couple years ago, we started a campaign called Save 10, where we champion talking to women about saving for retirement. And there literally is a magic number of 10%. If you can save 10% of your income early, you can retire. Unfortunately for a lot of women, because finances for so long were, the the world of financial services was created by men for men, women were left out of these conversations. And so we're really trying to normalize and 
make it sexy to talk about finances, talk, you know, over class wine, talk to your friends, your female friends about, you know, are you saving, right? Are you saving for retirement? What does your retirement look like? How do you do that? And so we have a Facebook group called the Save 10 Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group for women on, on social media. You can ask to join it and there's great conversations happening there. But in this, in this campaign, what we've done now is we've specifically targeted educators in Arkansas. Predominantly educators are, are women and public educators have access to tools that help them save for retirement. They have teacher retirement. So we began this fall going into school districts across Arkansas um, to really start having this conversation about saving. And the first opportunity we took was leveraging this very critical and short-term opportunity for teachers to have student loans forgiven. Currently, or the Biden administration announced actually in the last month about, you know, forgiving student loan. But prior to that, the Obama administration introduced what's called the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. And unfortunately, when it was set up, it was really confusing to a lot of people. Um, But the idea is that if you work in the public service sector for 10 years and you have federal student loans, after 120 payments, you can have your loans forgiven. Well, the first people became eligible in 2017. And the reality is, is that people weren't on the right repayment plan. They didn't quite understand how to upload and get credit for their service. And so it was a failure. People weren't taking advantage of it. Very few people got student loans forgiven. So post-pandemic environment, something that's been introduced is called the PSLF waiver. And that is an opportunity until October 30th of this year that if you are a public service employee, if you work for a school district, you work for a hospital, if you work for a qualifying nonprofit, city, state government agency, you can potentially apply for this waiver. And regardless of you are on the wrong payment plan, have your loans forgiven. If you've been working for 10 years and have met that 120 qualifying payments. So we talk to the Department of Education, like, you know, really let us go into public schools across Arkansas and tell teachers, not just women, but men and women, you know, educators about this short-term opportunity to really jumpstart saving for retirement. We just thought it's a perfect way to do this. So we launched it this fall. We had, I think, six or seven partner school districts, and we basically went on the road. And what we were discovering on average, the Arkansas teacher has $50,000 in student debt. That's on average. That's wow, you, that is insane. Yeah, you know, assuming you know, there are people who have zero debt and there are some people who have hundreds of thousands of dollar debt. And so, and our school districts, our superintendents aren't familiar with this very important opportunity that's out here until October 30th. And so, to my knowledge, we're the only organization that's really trying to like beat the drum on this. Like, listen, hey, like you can get, you know, and public school employees across the state. I mean, that those are just one of group of workers that are eligible. So, but in year one, we really have talked about the PSLF program and the waiver. In year two, we're talking about really the savings piece or, or paying down other types of debt. 
And then finally, we're going to be talking about, you know, leveraging teacher retirement tools. And so we're really excited about this project. It's a multi-year project. We've brought in a project coordinator who's a former educator to lead this. All the work that we do, not only do we try to amplify the voices of the person, the person or people, community or population that we're trying to serve by understanding their position, but we also try to bring in an individual to lead the product that understands that role. So we're really proud that this project is being led by a former educator. So if you had to say, what specific outcomes do you hope this program brings? I hope that we see a lot of teachers able to retire on time. You know, my mom's a a teacher. My mom's 70, just turned 70 this month, and she has no plan to retire. You know, my mom started teaching on the Texarkana, Arkansas School District when 35 years ago when I was still in elementary school. And, you know, that's that's what's heartbreaking is that a lot of our employee, our, our public servants, our, our teachers, you know, they don't have a retirement plan because, you know, they don't have access to a financial advisor or to an accountant. You know, they don't have, you know, they're not in these, these worlds, these spaces. And again, this whole financial service industry wasn't really designed for women. So it's not normalizing conversations. So I truly hope that what we start seeing is, you know, Arkansas being a place where, where women, we normalize these conversations and we start seeing, you know, women talk about how it's transformed their life when they've taken their financial control over their future. Wow. No, that is an amazing program that you guys are working on. And I know that you have a hard stop today. So before I turn you back over to Lisa to close us out, how do you see the progression of women's equity in the future? And what are you guys doing at the Women's Foundation of Arkansas to aid this progression? So at Women's Foundation, we focus on economic equity. You know, when we make the case, the economic case for women, it allows us to have a lot of conversations with different types of stakeholders. Because I believe, you know, you can bring together different folks, different strokes, if you will, by talking, making the, the economic case. You know, it's good for our state if women are economically secure. When we have women living in poverty, we have children living in poverty. That's the future of the Arkansas workforce. So I'm really proud that we take this hard line on it's about economic security for women and girls. And that makes us a vehicle that invite a lot of stakeholders in. I'm really, really proud of that. We've seen a lot of success because of that, you know, and it, and it still enables us to do a lot of work in a lot of different spaces, but people have become to, to trust us and, and, and understand our work and understand that, you know, when women succeed, the whole state succeeds. That is a fact that we yes. need a bumper sticker. That is period. Yeah. That is a period. <laughs> we need a bumper sticker. This, everybody succeeds. Um, I think it's probably the organization's laser focus on, you know, finding one issue and sticking with it. That is, and I, I'm sorry, but I also believe it's probably your leadership and your passion and your dynamic personality that's making the organization so successful right now. And I know you have just a very short amount of time left, which makes me sad because I would love to continue to talk to you. However, we're going to wrap this up um, with one final question. And that is, what is one message that you would like to share with listeners before we wrap up today? My message would be that women have unique skills and ability 
and that when you undermine and undervalue our role, you are hurting yourself more than anyone. And so to be a champion for women is not where you have to become a, a partisan or a political person. To be a champion for women is, just, is really to be a champion for future generations. Ah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. To be a champion for women is a champion for future generations. Not hard. You don't have to get crazy and political. You just have to be the champion. And and a lot of times that can happen in a small and quiet way when you make a difference. I, I know that. Absolutely. Yes. Small and meaningful. I know that. Okay. We have finished up with two minutes to spare. Annabeth Gorman, thank you ever so much for being a part of the Women in Industry podcast today. I am just I'm completely inspired by you and by the organization. I've been clicking around on your website while we've been talking, and I just continue to find all these wonderful resources. I hope you guys will go check it out, womensfoundationarkansas.org, and uh, maybe even consider contributing because there is so much good work that's going on over there under Annabeth's leadership. Annabeth, thank you so much, and thank you again for carving out time and your crazy schedule to be our guest today. Keep on inspiring. We appreciate you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Hannah. Please check out our Women in Industry page on comgroup.com to see more incredible and inspiring women like Annabeth Gorman. I mean, truly an inspiration. You can find stories from other inspiring women on our WIN pages on our website and on our WIN podcast pages on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And while you're in your favorite podcast app, we hope you will rate, review, subscribe. But most importantly, we hope you'll share it with your friends. And now we'll leave you with some homework. Nominate that inspiring woman in your industry. And oh my gosh, there are so many. The nomination form is on our website. Super easy to fill out. And you know, if you don't have a minute to nominate, then just go tell that amazing woman thank you. Tell her how much you appreciate her. This is Lisa Van Hook from the Communications Group here with my guest co-host Hannah Phillips saying thank you for joining us and keep on inspiring. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us in this week's episode of The Win Podcast. The Women in Industry Podcast is presented by the Communications Group to celebrate professional women and their achievements. For more information about today's guest and others like her, or to nominate a woman in industry for recognition, click on over to comgroup.com. Join in on the WIN conversation by visiting the WIN social channels on Instagram or Facebook, or check out our Comgroup social channels on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The WIN podcast is hosted by Comgroup Executive Vice President Lisa Van Hook and PR Director Carson Horn and produced by Cassie Booker. To learn more about how the communications group can help you achieve your business goals, contact us today at info at comgroup.com.